Today's scripture is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we've reached the end of our series through First and Second Peter. We started it back in January, and I have to tell you, it's hard to end these series, personally. I, I'm sad. You're probably like, praise be to God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are done with First and Second Peter. But for me, it is, it is kind of sad. I mean, I, I started First and Second Peter with a real conviction, and I've maintained that conviction throughout, that this is exactly what we need to hear as a church at this time. This wasn't just kind of a random, you know, open the Bible and see what I'm supposed to preach next. It was the result of, of prayer. And, uh, and, and now we're done. And so, you know, the question is, did we get it? You know, as I, as I think about that, did we get it? Have we taken to heart what the Lord has had for us in these two letters? And, you know, of course, I have to trust that he has, uh, that these things are, are tucked away, these many wonderful things in these two letters that we've looked at over the last nine months, and that as a result, we're better equipped for the trials that we are facing and the trials that uh, I believe increasingly as Christians we're going to face in this world. And so we're at the end of 2 Peter. Peter's emphasis as he wraps up here is uh, on the issue of how we're to live while we're waiting heard that right off the very beginning, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, don't just gloss by that. You know, pause and ask yourself the question, am I living as one who is waiting for these things? Everything that Peter's talked about, especially there at the end of uh, verse 13, the new heavens, the new earth where righteousness dwells, are we living as people who are waiting Are we living in light of a future that's marked by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and and all things being made new? Or are we living just for the here and now? Are, Are we living as if that glorious future doesn't await us? Because the way you think about the future shapes the way that you live now in the present, right? You know that. Judy Noland uh, watched a close friend die very quickly from a brain tumor, and, and she watched him, uh, before he lost his cognitive ability, 
um, write letters to his children and write letters to his wife that they could open up and read after his death. And then she was inspired by that. She said, you know, not enough people do this. I've witnessed other people who have been living their lives as if that, that day would never come, the day of their death. And so she started a, a foundation called Leave Nothing Unsaid in which she helps people of all ages write letters to their loved ones. She encourages and challenges people to live now in light of a future that is coming for all of us that day in which we die. To live now in light of that future by writing these letters. And so the question I think we need to ask is, given the fact that the same future awaits us, either our death or the return of Jesus Christ, how is that shaping the way in which we live right now? Jesus Christ will return. We just don't know when. There will be new heavens and a new earth. We can't imagine what that will be like, but it will be the home where righteousness dwells. God will indeed dwell with his people. That day's coming. How does it shape the way we live now? Are we living now in light of that day? And, and Peter's burden throughout these two letters, and Peter's burden especially here at the end, is that we do so, that we not lose sight of these glorious truths by, by listening to the false teachers as he touches on in Second Peter or by listening to our own desperate doubting hearts that so often believe this is as good as it's going to get and it's never going to get any better than this. So we're going to wrap up um, by just asking two questions as we think about what it means to live as those who are waiting. The first question is this, what should we expect while we wait? And we're going to do a very, very quick overview of First and Second Peter. Trust me, it'll be quick. Right? What should we expect while we wait? And then secondly, what should we do while we wait? Real simple. What should we expect? What should we do while we wait? But let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up this series, we do pray, O oh God, that, that by your Spirit, you would help us take to heart uh, the things that have been taught and the things that have been proclaimed faithfully from your word. Lord, as I think back over these nine months, I'm sure there's plenty of things that I've said that would be better left on the floor of the sanctuary. But Lord, as your word has been read and as I've faithfully proclaimed it, Lord, would you seal these things to our hearts? Would you do so even now, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what should we expect while we wait? From First Peter, Peter says, expect trials. Expect trials. Trials, trials in the form of opposition and trials that God permits in order to bring your growth. So again, real quick, trials in the form of opposition. If you look back at 1 Peter, which let me encourage you to, you know, today, later today, it's, it's quick. A lot quicker to read it than it is to preach through it if you're Mark, right? Yeah, go back and read First and Second Peter later today and you will be reminded of what Peter says concerning who we are. Right off the bat in chapter one, he's, he's writing to those who are, who are exiles and sojourners, aliens, people who are not of this world. I mean, we're of this world, right? We're born here, we live here, but our citizenship is now in heaven. We're now God's people, and so we don't quite fit in where we're at. He's writing to people who don't quite fit in in the world in which we live. And that's where we find ourselves. You know, it used to be that you could think of America, I think wrongly, as a Christian nation, and you could just kind of fit in if you were nominally spiritual. You kind of look like an American citizen if you went to church. Well, 
Thankfully, that bubble has been burst, this weird kind of 200-year parentheses that has been unlike life for Christians in the world is now gone, and we're beginning to experience more of what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world. And so as Peter writes to those who are aliens and exiles, people who don't quite fit into their present world, we're beginning to experience the fact that, yeah, he's, he's writing to us. We're part of that tribe. We're part of God's people that have experienced that kind of opposition, those kinds of trials all throughout the world and all throughout history. So aliens and exiles, we don't quite fit in, but at the same time, elect and, and precious in God's sight, chosen by God, given new birth. This is uh, the rest of chapter 1 of 1 Peter in the first part of chapter 2. So our identity and our, our, our purpose in life are now completely different. Uh, our allegiance now is to Jesus, not to, not to Rome in their case, not to, to Washington or anyone else. In our case, it's first and foremost to Jesus, who's our king. So from chapter 2, verse 11 of 1 Peter, Peter tells us how we're to live now as those whose primary allegiance is to Jesus in a world that is increasingly opposed to Christianity. And the answer that he gives us throughout 1 Peter is live honorably. Live honorable lives. Submit to those who are in authority over you. Be zealous for that which is good. And let your hope be evident to all. In other words, he doesn't say take up arms or, or re retake the government. He just says live godly Christian lives where you are. Live honorable lives. Be zealous for that which is good and, and demonstrate such a hope that as you suffer and as non-Christian friends and neighbors and co-workers watch you face trials and go through hard times, they see in you a hope that can't be explained by anything in this world and they ask, where's your hope come from? And then there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ. That's, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter. We should expect trials in the form of opposition, but at the same time, Peter says in 1 Peter, we should expect those same trials to be the very things that God uses in our lives to bring us growth. And so you see that in chapter 1 and you see that in chapter 4 as well. Peter says we experience all manner of trials. And these come so that the tested genuineness of our faith, this is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7, these come so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we wrestle with the fact that, that in some way that's hard for us to comprehend. Peter's talking about God looking at us and in a sense allowing us to share in the glory of his son Jesus Christ. And that happens as God uses these trials that he permits in our lives to shape us and make us more like Jesus. And in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, Peter tells us we get an opportunity as we suffer to share in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, to give a picture to the watching world of who Jesus is as we suffer and yet look to God and trust him for the future. So what do we expect while we wait? According to first letter, trials. Trials. According to second Peter, false teachers. Peter says we should expect false teachers to rise up within the church. 
how tragic. I mean, here's a church that's facing this, this external pressure. It's getting harder and harder to live as a Christian in the world. And then from within, there's this, this disease, if you will, of false teaching that would say to people, listen, Jesus isn't going to return to judge. You know, what Peter said, what the apostles said, it's all a hoax. When they say you need to live a holy life now, they're just trying to get you to listen to them in light of something that's not going to happen. Live the way you want to live now. Go ahead and accommodate yourself to the surrounding culture. Don't seek to live holy lives distinct from the surrounding culture because Jesus isn't coming back. You know, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy this because this is all you got until you die. And that, that teaching was rising up within the church and, and Peter says... Be on your guard. In fact, he's a lot more, you know, angry about that in, than he is about the external persecution that the church would face. And Peter's concern, as we saw here, is that we not lose our stability. So just take a look real quick. Back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, you therefore beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. There's all kinds of pressure that's going to be coming at you from outside, Peter says. And now there's this disease that's infecting the church from within. Bibles being set apart and people are just teaching their own opinions. Hold fast to the word of God so that you don't lose your stability. So that's what we should expect while we wait. Trials, 1 Peter. False teachers, 2 Peter. What should we do while we wait? And now we're going to zero in on what Peter says here at the end of 2 Peter. What should we do while we wait? And the first thing that Peter says is consider the patience of God. Consider the patience of God. Now, as I was preparing this week, I I didn't expect this part of it to be the thing that really kind of God used to, to nudge me and say, man, dwell here for a while. God's patience. Consider God's patience. So verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And then look back up at verse 9, which we touched on last week. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach, reach repentance. So first, consider the patience of God. Why? Not, be, not just because of the false teachers. I think also because in our own hearts, we struggle. We struggle to be patient is God ever going to return? Are things ever going to change? Does God really care? Why the delay? I mean, why is it that it seems that nothing has changed from, from the very beginning, from the time of Abraham, and, and certainly since the day that Christ ascended into heaven, why is it that nothing has changed? Why hasn't he returned? And what Peter emphasizes here is that his delay is not due to disinterest. His delay is a sign of his patience. 
His delay is not due to disinterest. It's not that God doesn't care. His delay is a sign of his patience. So what can we say about God's patience? Let's just kind of meditate there for a while. What can we say about God's patience? First, we can say that it is an exercise of his power. Have you ever thought about God's patience and God's power as being linked together? God's patience is an exercise of his power. The Bible says that God is slow to anger all throughout. Exodus 34, 6. In Exodus 34, God is revealing himself to Moses. He's, he's giving Moses just a little glimpse of who he is, just enough, as much as what Moses can bear hidden behind the cleft of the rock. And God says this in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. At the core of what it means for God to be God is that he is a God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. Numbers 14 verse 18, echoing Exodus 34, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding, steadfast in, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and forgiving transgression. The Psalms, you know, Praise God because of these attributes concerning who he is. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The psalm that we use in the call to worship from Psalm 145, same thing. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And yet, God is holy and he will execute his wrath upon sin. Exodus 34, 7, which still concerns God's self-disclosure concerning who he is, he says of himself, who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Isaiah chapter 6 gives this terrifying vision of the holiness of God. Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. In the, in the confession of sin, we, we said, well, our eyes are, you know, everything that we see is pure concerning ourselves. God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. Revelation gives this terrifying imagery of the wrath of the Lamb. So how is it that a holy God can restrain his wrath, can be slow to anger? And you say, oh, well, God's patient. God's patient. And my grandpa's patient. God's patient. Is it easy to be patient? Is it easy for you to be patient? And of course you say, well, no, but I'm sinful. And God's not sinful. There's no sin in him. But, but imagine for a second just imagine if you weren't sinful. And imagine that you saw some injustice being committed that was, that was harming your children. And that you had the power to act. And, and because you were without sin, you had the power to act in a way that was just and not, you know, capricious vengeance. How much strength would it take for you in that scenario to wait patiently? How much strength would it take for you to wait 
for the express purpose that the offender might repent. And, I, you know, if you could now take the leap in your mind to God, but of course we can't. How much more so must it be for God? God's patience is an exercise of his power of self-restraint. A.W. Pink, in his book, The Attributes of God, writes this concerning God's patience. We would define patience as that power of control which God exercises over himself, causing him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long in punishing them. So when you think of patience, don't think first and foremost of God's patience with you. Think form, first and foremost of God's patience as being that exercise of his power over himself such that the wrath that you and I deserve is not poured out upon us and instead God is forbearing. Stephen Charnock, a Puritan, A.W. Pink in the Attributes of God quotes Charnock and says this, God is slow to anger because he is great in power. Not God is slow to anger because he's patient, just like grandpa's patient. God is slow to anger because he is great in power. God's patience is an exercise of his power. Consequently, God's patience is also a demonstration of his mercy. We, we, you heard that a lot in the songs that were sung and in the, in the readings that we've, that we've done up to this point in the service. How amazing it is that God didn't just, you know, with the, with the, with the fall of, of man in the garden, just wipe everything out. How amazing it, it is that he continues to show mercy to his whole creation. Like, the, you know, the, the sun shines and the, and the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous alike. There's oxygen that we can inhale and exhale for all humanity, for all of God's creatures. That is an, a demonstration of his mercy that is made possible because of the exercise of his power that is the heart of his attribute of patience. So God's patience is a demonstration of his mercy. God's patience is also a mystery. And let's go back up at verse 9. And we're not going to be able to give verse 9 as much as we would like to give. But there is mystery inherent in God's patience. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And, and it's possible to say, okay, the key to kind of untangling this you know, thorny question of God's patience and God's desire that all repent is simply, it's right there. God is patient toward you, Peter said. He's patient toward you all that I'm writing to. He's patient toward you Christians, not wishing that any of you should fall away. And that's a possible way to take Second Peter, but in all likelihood, as he goes on in verse 9, the, the scope is broadening to say that God desires that all people repent. And that's not just found there. You see that throughout the scriptures. You see, for instance, back in Ezekiel 18, verse 23, have I any pleasure, this is God speaking, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And yet there's a tension because 
you know, if you know your Bible, if you've read it, you, you know things like Ephesians 1 where it says that God chose his own before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And you know that Jesus in John chapter 6 said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And none that the Father gives me will I ever cast away. And in John 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and respond. They're the ones for whom I die. And then in Revelation 5, it says that, that, that the Lamb called out or saved people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Not everyone without exception. So there's this tension here between you know, God's desire that all repent, and yet the fact that according to God's decree, not all repent. That is the mystery of his patience. But behind the mystery of his patience is the mystery of his will. And I've said just enough to give you that big, I can see the big balloon question mark over all your heads. And I, we can't go any further than that. But I'm off next week. The week after that, let's get together and talk about this stuff because it's really interesting. It'll be really valuable because we'll learn more about God's word. We'll learn more about God's character. But I can tell you when we get to the end of that, we'll all still have big question marks over our heads. Because there's a mystery here that we cannot solve. God's ways are indeed higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. It is an absolute biblical truth that everything God decrees comes to pass. It is, an also, it is also a fundamental biblical truth that not all that God desires or would find desirable comes to pass. Therein lies the mystery. Again, much more could be said. Here's the thing, though. That's a philosophical exercise for us, kind of a theological knot we'd like to try to untangle. It is not that for those who are suffering. Peter didn't write this here concerning God's patience and his desire that all would come to repentance because he wanted to give these guys, you know, kind of some theological things to wrestle with and not that they could untie. He knew that they were suffering. He knew that their suffering was going to increase. And when you're suffering, it is often a question, why, God, won't you act? I referenced earlier Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Numbers. Hey, how about this, Habakkuk, 66 books of the Bible. I would have hit one of them at some point. It have been the right one. Habakkuk 1.13, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You see, there, there is this tension, but it's, it, it, the, the expression of that is, is not so much, you know, philosophical argumentation, theological debate as it is for us, as it is just that question of why, God? Why? Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous perish? Why is it that if you're design for creation and your goal for recreation when Christ returns is that there be no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no death. Why not yet? And so the thing we can't miss then when it comes to God's patience is what Peter tells us in verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Don't miss 
this season, this time, this age in which we live between Christ's first coming and his return for what it is, an opportunity to repent. Peter references Paul at the end of verse 15, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. He may have been thinking of Romans 2, 4, where Paul writes, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So let me tell you right now, if, you're, if your hope is not in Jesus Christ, if you've not turned from your sin and your, your concentration on living for yourself to instead say, God, I need your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. If that's not where you are right now, then today is the day. Now is the time. Jesus Christ will return. We don't know when. But now is, now is the time. This time that we're in right now, the fact that the return of Jesus Christ has not happened yet is because of God's kindness and his patience in order to give you an opportunity to repent. And so repent. And if that's where you are, by God's grace, if you are a Christian, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have family members for whom it may soon be too late. Tell them about Jesus. Let them know that this is their opportunity to be saved. So, consider God's patience. And, you know, keep in mind God's patience with you. <laughs> we haven't talked about that at all. God is patient toward his own. His patience toward his own is inexhaustible. So find the peace that Peter talks about in verse 14 in part in that fact that God is patient towards you. All right, let's move on. We're going to wrap up quick. Consider God's patience. Second, grow in God's grace. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in the realm of God's grace. So when you read grow in God's grace, Peter's not saying, the Bible's not saying, okay, what you need to do is work and work and work and work to you. Get yourself into a place where you're now in God's grace. What the Bible teaches and what Peter teaches is that if you are a Christian, you are now in the realm of God's grace. You're planted in the field of God's grace, if you will. You were, you were once under God's wrath. You are now under God's grace. You're in the realm of grace. You were once a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. You, you now are given an opportunity not to grow into God's grace, but to grow up in God's grace. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ isn't so much something that you need to work your way into, but by God's grace, it's something that you are in, this field in which everything God plants there grows. And so grow. Grow how? Well, grow by growing in your knowledge of grace. And so Peter does talk about, back in 1 Peter, the need to know God's word. In 2 Peter, he would tell us about the need to know God's word in order to refute the false teachers. And so we do need to grow in our knowledge in that sense of, of intellectually knowing things about God from his word. But in the Bible, that's also more than just intellectual knowledge. It is growing in your experiential knowledge of God. 
of actually growing to experience more of the love of God in Christ for you. So Paul will pray that way in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would have an understanding, a knowledge beyond understanding concerning the love of Christ. And Peter would certainly echo the same. So, grow in your knowledge of grace. Understand that you are in the realm of grace by God's grace if you're a Christian. And then third, pursue holiness by grace. And so Peter does say in 2 Peter, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. So yes, pursue holiness, but pursue holiness by grace. As one who has been planted in the field in which everything that God plants there grows up into holiness, pursue it by the power of God's grace. Romans 1.16, Paul writes there that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So yes, pursue holiness. But pursue holiness as one who has been planted in the field of God's grace and is now growing in your experience of God's grace because of the work of the Spirit in you. And then third, third thing as we think about how we live now as those who wait, live for God's glory. Live for God's glory now. Again, coming back down to the end of the letter. To him, that is to Jesus, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. One day the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth as the water covers the sea. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until then, Peter calls on us to live for God's glory now emphasis on now. This ending to 2 Peter, it doesn't end like so many other letters do. To him be the glory forever and ever. To him be the glory now and forever and ever. Peter puts an ending point on it. Now and to the day of eternity. To the day that Jesus Christ returns. Live now for God's glory. So what should we expect? While we're waiting, we should expect trials and we should expect false teachers. What are we to do while we're waiting? We're to consider God's patience, grow in God's grace, and live for God's glory now. But again, we do that in light of the day that is coming, in light of the future that awaits. My dear brothers and sisters, this is not as good as it's going to get it is going to get so much better. Do you, do you ever just, I mean, do you pause ever and just look up at the heavens? And do you look at the trees of the field? And do you look at your believing friends or your, or your believing spouse and just wonder what it all will be like one day? And do you think in light of that of the way things are now and grieve because they're so far short of the way God created things to be? I mean, we get to experience beauty now. That's a, that's a gift of God's grace. But the beauty that we see now is nothing compared to the beauty that was and the beauty that is yet to come. And, and do we ever stop and just go, 
You know, the the best song that I've heard, the best sunset I've observed, the best moment I've had with my spouse or my kids, the best meal that I've tasted, they are a pale comparison of what is to come. And does that then create in us an eager expectation for the day of the Lord's return? You know, I, I often joke that the pastor's favorite song or hymn is the one that fits the sermon that he's preaching that particular Sunday. And, uh, but in this case, I mean it. <laughs> okay, I do. This, this has become my new favorite uh, song. Uh, it's for one of my, my favorite artists, Andrew Peterson. Uh, we've sung it once here. We sang it on Easter Sunday. And it's the, the song, Is He Worthy? And he starts off, first verse, Do you feel the world is broken? Do you? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Do you? We do. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. It is. May it be that the message of 1 and 2 Peter has served in God's hand and by his grace as a reminder to us that as good as things are now, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to live as people whose eyes are on that far horizon, who are waiting with eager expectation for the return of your Son and being found now faithful because of your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.